Hey, Jay. Hey, Tyler. Oh, hey, guys. Hey, Rachel. Oh, I didn't see you there. You were looking very, very dreamily out the window. Uh, so I have a question. I have an answer. Okay. I don't have an answer. And this is a very, um, very basic question, very simple question. Who's your favorite Beatle? Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obvious in my case, it's Ringo. Um, oh, you went yeah, right for it. Right for it. Yeah. Um, because that's how I got into drumming. I think we discussed on a previous episode, what happened to your face just there? That coffee is terrible. <laughs> I got coffee at the coffee shop, and it was like, I can't eat Danish, Danish, something Danish. That's a negative review from Muggsies. Danish pastry, I think it's called. And oh. I asked them, is it good? They said, people get it. <laughs> That's the least said, ringing endorsement. And, and you sell it, so I guess I'll buy it. And, and boy, is it uh, something that people buy. Well, now I'm just curious. <sighs> it's uh, it's not good. It smells horrible. Yeah, well, and it tastes on on brand <laughs> to the smell. <laughs> All right, so Ringo, the drummer. Yeah, because yeah, the movie helped. Uh, okay. It was my, my foray into the Beatles, and Ringo was so goofy in that when and I was And he a kid. is the, the linchpin of the movie. He really yeah. is. I is. do like how much they really go out of their way, but it's almost to a patronizing way to really include Ringo. Yeah. Put him up front every once in a while. It's, I mean, it really is like, my kid brother's here. Yeah. Let's give him a song. It's always going to be our worst song on the album, but yeah. we'll give him a what, song every album. What's this song about? An octopus in his garden? Go for eh, it. let Ringo sing it. Yeah. It's fine, yeah. <laughs> what's this song? It's got three chords and, and no changes. All right, there you That's go, Ringo's. Ringo. Yeah. Yeah. Paul will play drums. <laughs> just this once. Yeah. Just this once. <laughs> And I, the other thing I like about Ringo is that however old he is now, he's like 70, 80, he is the same person. He has not changed at all. The biggest Ringo change was when like eight years ago when he put out that YouTube video and said, I'm not signing anything else. <laughs> it was like the meanest he ever got. And he was like, please, I've been signing things all these years and I'm not doing it anymore. Do yeah. not send me anything else. No more. Peace and love, Ringo. No more. <laughs> He tried to really like bring it home and be a nice guy, but also no, I'm a I jerk. think he went. Well, I think he was way too open about signing whatever you sent him. Yeah, right. And then he just didn't want to make people sad anymore. So, but he, you could tell he was really tired of signing things after <laughs> forty years. Please yeah. stop. <laughs> what about uh, you? Uh, well, I think I went through progression as I learned more about the Beatles of. Um, I started with John. I think most people, most boys at least, start with John. Yeah. Because he's the cool rocker guy. He's when you learn that he sings the Ferris Bueller song, you're like, that's the one. Yeah. yeah. And then... Uh, you mean Twisted? Yeah, Twisted twist and Shot, yeah. Twist, yeah. Yeah. And okay. uh, so then I uh, went from him to Paul when I started to uh, differentiate who was actually singing what song and realized most of my favorite songs were the Paul songs. Yeah. Um, and then, as I learned more about them as people, and learned that John Lennon was a terrible human being. No joke. Like, an actively evil person on some <laughs> levels in terms of like, his acceptance for like, how, how, how you treat other humans, especially other women. But Tyler, he wrote that song, Imagine, that everybody loves. Yeah, Imagine. Uh, and also that song, Run for Your Life, about domestic violence. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. yeah, yeah. Well, but not, that. but pro, right? Pro yeah. domestic <laughs> violence. Yeah, the wrong, there's a lot of songs about domestic violence that are uh, not in that, on that side. Um, and then I got more interested in George. And again, as you get into the albums, you hear a lot of George songs because they didn't release a lot of the George songs and they're real good. And his, George's um, 
stuff in the 70s at least is perhaps the most interesting. Mm-hmm. I really like what Paul is doing with wings and things. Wings and things? Yeah. Uh, like on the menu at Buffalo Wild Wings. Uh, <laughs> and, um, but just George was, was a much better musician and songwriter and singer than he gets the time to be a lot of times. So then I came to him and then I read another kind of longer biography. And even though George is not really a villain, you realize that the only nice one is Ringo. Yeah. That they're all, like, Paul is a little too, Paul is the, he really wants to keep making music, but he also really likes, he's a little less compromising than you want someone in the Yeah, right, right. John is just a total jerk. Yeah. Uh, George just doesn't want to be there anymore. No. And Ringo's always the one who's like, okay guys, what do you want to do? <laughs> he's really, We're having band practice he's very today? sweet. And then when he wanted to quit because he felt like he wasn't good enough he was right. Yeah. <laughs> My They're, favorite quote from the Beatles, uh, somebody at, they were doing like a press conference and somebody asked, John, do you think Ringo's the best drummer in the world? Yeah. And John responded, I don't even think he's the best drummer in the band. Yeah. That's <laughs> like, wow, that's... That's a, it's a, and it's not untrue when you realize the songs, the songs with the best drum parts, you're like, wow, Ringo's really going now. And then you realize, oh, that's Paul. Yeah. Playing drums of the song. <laughs> But Ringo is a real, he's not a flashy drummer, but he's a very consistent drummer. Yeah. Which is something that doesn't, we don't have a value in now that we have click tracks and stuff like that. But right. like he, his he tempo is, is straight up solid. Anyway. <laughs> Rachel, what's your, what's your thought? Um, so my favorite is also Ringo. Yeah. Um, but That's I also, as someone who, you know, went through the uh, boy band craze with One Direction, I also am very aware of which one would have been my favorite yeah, if Rachel, I had been a fan in the 60s. Rachel wrote a, 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 uh, an, a collegiate level uh, academic paper. That's the word I was looking for, yeah. academic. Yeah. Um, comparing the Beatles to One Direction. That did wow. happen. Yeah. And contrasting, even. Yes. yes. Comparing, <laughs> comparing and contrasting. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'm very aware of which one would have been my favorite if I had been like part of Beatlemania, and it would have been John. Mm. Ooh. Okay. Um, like when I watch a Hard oh, Day's yeah. Night, yeah. I'm like, oh, John is the best. He's the had, cool one. I would have had yeah. such a crush on John. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, I would have also. He, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's. There, yeah. there, because because uh, John was the cool bad boy. Yeah. Paul was the sweet. Your mom will like this guy. Yeah. Uh, George was in the band and Ringo <laughs> was the fun guy he didn't I'm not really sure what personality George was given George was like the emo dude like he was just always kind of in the corner quiet. he's kind of there but even in the even in the movies like he's just kind of he doesn't there. have the great lines yeah he's just, I think he was the more the most shy of them yeah uh, so yeah John definitely had the yeah no so I would have I would have had such a crush on John and I yeah. know that but also all for all of the reasons that yeah. have already been discussed yeah. he was a not good person Oof. yeah boy yeah Ooh, boy. wow uh, and he like it's really interesting reading. There's a the book I read was pretty good. It was a thick one. It was like 500 pages. Um, but there's some, which makes it good. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The length yeah. is yeah. That's, <laughs> that's the that's the. There's no. the weekly reader level like 50 you page can, book. You can't judge a book by its cover, but you, you can by can page number by, by how far yeah. apart its covers are. <laughs> um, and uh, um, but there's another one that's being written by Mark Lewinson. I think he's writing three. He's already like 70, so I'm like, you gotta get, he's only gotten one album out. And the first one just covers everything up until, I think, Please Please Me comes out, or their first mm-hmm, single. Mm-hmm. So it's like, 
I really want to know this, but I want to know, really one I want is kind of the middle book. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that one's supposed to come out, I think, in two years. And then the next one's going to come out seven years after that when he's 85. And I really think this guy's going to die before he comes out with these books. It'll That's, be like Game of Thrones. Yeah, exactly. About the Beatles. Exactly. Yeah. That's where my wife is. Like, she's way into Game of Thrones. Well, excuse me, A Song of Ice and Fire. And yes. George R. R. Martin <laughs> ain't getting any younger. Oh, yeah. She's not into the show. Not anymore. So much. Yeah. It was super weird because, like, she was into the books and then got me into the show. Yeah. But then the show went past the books. Yeah. So, like, when we were both watching together, she'd be like, did you notice that little detail oh, that's, yeah, like, yeah. really going to be important later? I yeah. Like, no. Did you notice this thing that they <laughs> yeah. gave to Sansa that is not her character but right. another character? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but then she stopped watching when the books ran out. So I started being like, do you want me to tell you what Hodor's name oh. means? And I was like, I know. I know that. Anyway. Ringo. Ringo. Yeah. Ringo. So that, that was, there's a lot more consensus on yeah. Ringo being a pretty nice guy. I mean. And I thought, at what point, if you're Ringo Star or anybody like that, at what point do you decide, I'm exclusively wearing sunglasses for the rest of my life? <laughs> oh, man. I always wondered that about folks like Because he, I mean, you never see him without sunglasses yeah. anymore. That's true. Does yeah. he have? He and Bono. I think Bono has a macular degeneration, though. Oh, okay. He's got like, an excuse. Yeah. A yeah. very sad excuse. If you've yeah, ever right. seen what that is, like, he's just slowly going blind, I think. I think. Either that or he is, like, Bartleby shooting. Bartleby will let us know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Bartleby certainly has the information about what happened with Bono. Oh, yeah. So Ringo is the best Beatle. Confirmed. <laughs> Objectively. Objectively. <laughs> what's the, tell me, what's the thesis of, if you could, what, how did you, who wins? One Direction or? So it was like very much presented as like a versus thing when people would talk about it, which I didn't like because that yeah. was not the intention. It yeah. was basically just me complaining about how people don't talk about the Beatles as a boy band when they obviously were a boy oh, band. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but like because of rock nonsense and yeah. like masculinity nonsense in rock circles, they don't like the idea of thinking that the Beatles were initially for women. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And. Well, Watch any of the live shows. I they know. Put on. Like, it's not I hard. Know. Well, and that also I think leads into part of the reason why they do. I I need to realize this microphone's not attached to my face. Yeah. Uh, part of the reason why they do pull away from that towards yeah. the second part of their the more they become artists, yeah, yeah. the less. Uh, and Paul is the one who's like, no, I'm gonna play live all the time. Right. And John does not. No. And George and Ringo are just like, whatever. All right. Am I still yeah. in the band? Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, what? But when you realize kind of the boy bandness of them and the not prefabricated but the fabricated yeah, yeah. version of them, and you look at a band like the Monkees, mm -hmm. which seems like a joke, mm -hmm. but then you look at the Monkees, apart from writing their own songs, which they didn't do until their later albums, right, right. they had most, a lot of their songs are written by like Neil Diamond and yeah. people who were great, and they're a great band. They're an amazing band. And they're delightful. They, yeah, and they're when you realize how fabricated the Beatles were, at least in terms of their image and stuff. Yeah. Um, it makes the monkeys a better band, yeah. which is an interesting thing to say. Hot take. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The past but not better than the Beatles, <laughs> right. but better than we give them credit yeah, for. Yeah, absolutely. They're not a just a mere copy of yep. monkeys. I mean, clearly they're chasing that. Yeah. But the, and the monkeys themselves thought of themselves as a real band. Right. And to the point that they even like took over the I think their third album and said, "We are going to play all the instruments. We can play these instruments. Right. We want to play Let's them all. Do it. We want to produce it. And it's a really interesting album." Mm -hmm. Uh, it didn't have hits on it the way that it did. And their their soundtrack to the movie that they made, and their movie's super weird. It's called Head. And it's written by Jack Nicholson. 
Yeah. It's like Jack Nicholson, Jack yes, Nicholson. Yes, that one. I'm, <laughs> I'm learning so much in the last 30 seconds. Yeah, and I think it's, uh, I think the director is Bob Rafelson. How do you know this? I don't know. And I still don't know which way is north right now. So, like, that's the, uh, that's the trade-off. <laughs> I've made room for that. Um, but, uh, so it was Jack Nicholson's buddy. And, it, it, like, they just, like, <laughs> did a bunch of drugs and wrote this movie. And it, that's what it feels like. But it's a little, it's, it's a, tri- I mean, it's probably five years for three or four years after the last Beatles movie so it has that tone but in a more psychedelic way because that's kind of the yeah. tone of where things were really really interesting but there's a song called the porpoise song that's great and it's like the theme song from head their movie and it's that song alone can kind of give you an idea of like here's what the monkeys could have done artistically if they got the mm, chance interesting and it's just a real i highly recommend look up the porpoise song it's an interesting song well, on that note, I'm Jay. I'm Tyler. I'm Rachel. And this is Roughing, Roughing the, the Pastor. in varying degrees. Uh, <laughs> How's that for an intro? <laughs> so, Glowing uh, introduction. I, so you've been around. We've been in similar spheres for many years. Many, many years. Um, the New Wilmington Mission Conference. Again, this is this big conference uh, tell people about. I don't even know what it's supposed to do anymore. Yike. Mission, I guess. Yike. So it, it, uh, um, one thing that they added last year was labs and this is what we talked about this before when i talked about dunkirk that's that's was that what that was so it's just basically people have the opportunity to talk for which i realize now is 45 minutes at the time i thought it was an hour and i went an hour every time uh, <laughs> and uh uh i actually went over an hour because i was like i'm gonna keep you guys a little long and jimmy had to raise his hand at the second one he's like we're supposed to be done half an hour ago i was like okay man thanks <laughs> um tyler talked too long yeah who'd have thought you're kidding uh as i continue this five minute intro uh <laughs> So, but um, I got done with my lab and then went to this other lab that I had not heard. I just saw it on the thing and it was about uh, media and uh, different representations of people of color, LGBT in popular culture. And I thought, hey, that's kind of... Stuff I care yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. And, and I was just talking about pop culture. I'd go find that. And who, I don't know who this Rachel Jones person is, but I go in and I walked into a very small room yeah. that was, uh, if not full, it was definitely... Uh, like packed it was as full as that room could be for what it needed yes, to be yes exactly and um and walked in to probably the last third yeah of an incredible conversation hmm. that blew my mind and it made me really appreciate the reboot of one break at a time one one day, day at, a time, at a time which i still have not watched but i'm really excited about watching it <laughs> at some point uh that was my first introduction to you. Yes. Uh, in a formal way. Yes. You had been part of the high school programs, yes. and so you, uh, I had had the opportunity to, to meet you before, but in a in a mass of right. of young people, um, and so uh, was just so delighted by your 
uh, appropriately hot takes. They were they were they were <laughs> fresh fresh baked takes, <laughs> like uh, like the the donuts at a Krispy Kreme. I am all about on. the hot takes. Exactly. I dropped yeah. a hot take this morning. Yeah. And I felt so invigorated by it. Should, it. it was but great. Like a Krispy Kreme, you should have a sign on that says "Hot Takes." Oh, now. yeah. I love it. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, <laughs> um, so anyway, tell us about how did you uh, as as much detail as you'd like to. Um, how did you get from? How did you get to that room? How did I get where to where you were room? talking about mm. the LGBT Ooh. folks in one break at a time, one day, one at, a day time. at a time? Ooh. You keep doing that. I know. I really want that to be the name of the show. I guess. <laughs> How did I get to that room? That is such a complicated question. Um, so I, I think part of it is I grew up in Evanston, Illinois, which is right north of Chicago, uh, very like liberal space. Um, so that's part of it. So I've always been like around those sorts of ideas. Um, and then I reached a point where like uh, I was more resistant to this space because it was not that. Uh, and I wasn't sure whether I wanted to be that in, in that anymore. So I didn't come for a few years. But then since I have come back, it has been very important to me that we talk about the sorts of things that we talked about in the mission lab last year, like intersectionality, different kinds of identities, and the fact that, uh, you know, we're all racist. We need to think more about queer people, all those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and I felt very strongly that that's like a conversation that we need to be having here. Yeah. Uh, even if it's something that some people are scared to be talking about, yeah. it is better to say it out loud than to uh, just avoid talking about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was, and then it also helped. So I started to learn more about intersectionality and stuff like that through grad school um, because I'm in a humanities program. So we talk about those sorts of complex issues. Can you give us a uh, sentence or two explanation of intersectionality? Because that's a very important word that not everybody has the same understanding of. Absolutely. Um, So intersectionality was uh, created actually in like more of a law context by an academic in like the late 80s, early 90s sort of time period. Um, And it's basically the idea that we all as people have an intersection of different parts of our identity. And certain people are, when they experience discrimination, it's actually because of that intersection of identities, not Mm -hmm. because of one particular identity. Mm -hmm. So a black woman does not experience ident- discrimination separately for being black and being a woman, but like she experiences a certain kind of discrimination because she is a black right, woman. Right, the crux yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so intersectionality is trying to zero in on what happens at the intersection of those identities. Huh. Yeah. Coming into a conference that is a good bit more conservative, did you have reservations around? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. How'd you work through that? Like, um, just I'm going to say what I want to say? or I. So I was... I ran through it in my head a lot, like practiced the whole thing a lot, practiced potential arguments that I might encounter hmm. uh, or or like objections that people might have and tried to come up with responses the best that I could. Uh, and obviously, like when it organically happened, I wasn't necessarily prepared for every single thing that happened in the room. Right. But like it. You it, handled it exceedingly well. Though. I appreciate that. Yeah, it was it. You never seemed flustered or like, oh, no, what? And especially being. A, a child of conference, like having grown up in the place. Yeah, yeah. Like now now an adult, but being at a place where you were a kid. Yeah. And if people knew you, they knew you as a kid. But also a lot of people don't actually, yeah. like a lot yeah, of yeah. people don't actually know me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So part of it is helpful. I think that I did stay away for a couple of years yeah. because then I came back and I'm like, hi, I'm, I am an assertive adult yeah. who with, has with, opinions. Educated. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I have 
facts to back up those opinions. Yeah. Like I have the language and the ba- like background with like argumentation style in like writing to back up those opinions. I don't know if you opinions. know this. This is America. Facts don't oh, really yeah. matter Whoops. anymore. Um, mm. So as long as you have alternative facts, then yeah, you're just okay. come up yeah. with you know just really <laughs> if you can fit your argument on a hat, that mm-hmm. would be most ideal. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate too the um, and. And we were talking about this a bit last night, but mm-hmm. just the sense of, um, uh, and I mean, it gets a little bit to one of the, the questions that came up in, in the episode with Jimmy about, um, I think the sleight of hand episode, um, but just the sense of um, trying to, of judgment, like judging people who are judging, and that can be hard. And that in order for us to move forward as, as a community, yeah, we need to make space not just in places that agree with us, yes, yeah. uh, but to ma- to actively seek out a space to have a voice in a place where that voice is not welcome, right? Uh, and not because people are violently against you as a human, but yeah. they just don't want to talk about those things. Yeah. And I think that was one of the things I really appreciated about this lab format, and about your lab, and and a couple other labs too. That it was a space to say. We love this place. This mm-hmm. place has been a place that has been really helpful. And it would be really easy as this place has moved to a, a different space than us. And we've moved to a different space than where this place is, uh, the conference especially. But any any particular place. I think a lot of people encounter this with the church. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. If you've grown sure. up in, in the church, big C, um, that as you get older, as you learn things, as you get different perspectives on life, as you meet people who are outside of that community, mm-hmm. you realize how insular any community is. Yeah. And what, I mean, left and right, really. Uh, and so being able to come back into that space as someone who was in already accepted by that community at a certain point. So yeah. you have a certain privilege, privilege, privilege. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so using leveraging that privilege, knowing that by using that, you may then forfeit that privilege. Yes. Uh, I think that that was for me last year was a big thing of realizing I'm at a place that I can say these things. And if it means that I can't come back, I'm okay with yeah. that. And not in a like, screw you guys, I'm going home right. kind of way, but in a way that I really care about these people and I want them to hear this and they're not hearing it. And I have been given a lot of privilege at this place. I've yeah. been given lots of microphones to hold in front of my face. <laughs> and can I use that space to build me up? Can I use that space to just make people feel good about this place? Or mm-hmm. can I use that space to, to bring up things uh, for voices of people who are not in that room and to try to encourage people to look at other things yeah. which in a lot of ways is what we try to do with the podcast yeah. as well all right all right so let's do this because i think i can i can build in a masterful segue yeah, yeah. okay so number one enneagram type i'm a oh, yeah. i'm a five wing four hey i don't think we've had a five no, no. you haven't yeah no. okay so what is a five for you would <sighs> explain because yeah. we are on record of knowing nothing about right. the enneagram from how much we talk about it <laughs> um so the the first guest that you guys had on i was like listening to it and you asked that question and it was like before you asked me like oh yeah. do you want to be on this but yeah. i was still thinking to myself like how would i explain what it is that makes me a five yeah and my gut reaction was like oh i just send them a link to a summary about a five because that's all the things that's the most five um and that instinct is even like a yeah. really five thing to do yeah. because it's basically me saying like I don't want to talk about myself and my feelings but I 
I'm okay with letting you know about those yeah. feelings. I'm just assuming that you are figuring them out on your own. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then I'm also like very information oriented. Like I read up on everything. Um, so because of you guys talking about Enneagram on the podcast, I have gone down in like multiple rabbit holes yeah. about the Enneagram yeah. again. So um, like researchy. Yeah, because yeah. I just love reading about everything. Yeah. I can't, I can't never pronounce his name. Do you read the book by Chris Horror? I don't read books. Quartz? I read the internet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So no. Oh, it's a great book. It's the sacred, sacred Enneagram. Enneagram. Yeah. Okay. It's great. It's it, and it's the book. It's the the probably the primary one that connects the Enneagram to the church. Yeah. Cool. But he uh, not in a in a way that's that's true to the Enneagram. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I mean like yeah. One of the things that like because of the podcast I've been thinking about more is how much my Enneagram like ref- is reflected in my relationship yeah. with the church. Yeah. Like long term, uh, and it's been kind of wild. So <laughs> what, what's the four bring to that? The four basically means that I actually am in touch with my feelings. Because, um, so do you know about the different, like, triads mm-hmm. and We know stuff? about the fear triad only because um, that's the best thing. Well, but, and then also, like... <laughs> and that's going to be our band. Because <laughs> maybe it's not called triads, but, like, they're the different... Three of the types are, like, more of the head-oriented, yeah. heart, and then I think the other one's gut. Yeah. Um, and so, like, the five is the most head-oriented and of is the it, head Is it types. four, five, six? Is it's it... five, six, seven. Okay. And then four is the most feeling Oh, yeah, and the other one the is eight, nine, types. one. Yes, yeah. and then two, three, four. Yeah. yeah. Eight, nine, one is heart? Gut. <sighs> gut. Gut. We're the gut tribe. Yeah, You're, we are. Yeah. Um, that feels right. That's why. <laughs> that's why the gut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> and then and then two, three, four is the heart triad. And that's yeah. like all feeling oriented. And so four is the most feelingy yeah. of the feeling triad. And then the wing with the four for me basically means that I like actually am in touch with my feelings and like do think about my feelings a lot. I just don't articulate them and like use it in the same way that someone who's more feelings oriented uses them but you're good at finding someone who does articulate it and then sharing that with other exactly people. So yeah this has been articulated by someone else yes you can read that that's what i feel right yeah i like that so five would be what's the the the, the title for the five what do people I don't remember the, yeah i don't either i don't no, remember I don't about it. yeah because like there's the helper and the enthusiast yeah and the what's the nine we're the peacemakers the peacemakers yeah, yeah. The other thing I keep, I feel like is the truest about nine is that uh, if you are a nine and you read all the other ones and you think, I could be that, yeah. I think that's the most yeah. confirming nine thing. Because whenever, even hearing you explain that, it's like, yeah, that's kind of me. That makes, sense. that makes sense. I like to research and I'm in touch with my feelings. <laughs> and sometimes I uh, am an enthusiast and sometimes I don't want to talk about people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, to people who've been listening for a while, we talk about the Enneagram a lot and we don't really give you too much information because we don't, we do, we will have a guess at one point. Uh, confirmed. I talked to Brian Wallace, who oh, is boy. the resident expert on uh, Enneagrams, and he would love to come on and tell us about the Enneagram. So we will, if you keep thinking, like, why do they keep talking about this thing that we they, without explaining it? Yeah. We'll have an episode. <laughs> we'll have a up class. And... Okay, so Myers-Briggs. INTJ. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever met. Yeah, this INTJ. is the furthest away from where we've from, been. Yeah. 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 What's that mean to you? Like, how do you... I mean, it's very related to what I just said about the five too. Yeah. Like I'm very thinking oriented and about you can, everything. You can give us insight. Again, we talk about things without knowing it. What are the letters? For the what are the letters? <laughs> um, I just assume if you answer that quickly, you know what you're talking yeah, yeah, about. Yeah. yeah, right. So introvert, extrovert, we can get. It, yeah, yeah, introvert, extrovert. And then 
N is intuitive. Yeah, which always throws me off because it doesn't start with an N. Right. It should be I. But yeah. There already is an I. Uh, and so. then and then the op- the opposite side of that is sensing. I don't remember if you guys have had a sensing. No. No. So I don't far. know that I've ever in my life met a sensing. I don't know that many either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the next part what is. What would a sensing person be? Like, how would how would you differ? How would one differentiate between an intuitive person and a sensing? That's person? the one that I know the least about. Okay. Because. I mostly know about the types that I'm friends with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as I think is the case with most people, okay. right? Um, and so I only have like one sensing friend and she's from undergrad, so I haven't talked to her about it for a yeah. long time. Um, but then there's the thinking or feeling. Um, and then the last one is judging or perceiving. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We'll continue to nod. As if people can hear know things. Yeah, yeah. Um, what if you could travel in in time to go to any concert? Oh, yeah. What would it be? Oh, I'm, I was so glad that you asked this in the mental health one because yeah. it reminded me of it. Yeah, yeah. I was able to think about it again when I listened to it. Um, the premiere of the Mozart clarinet concerto. Oh my! Wow. Yeah. Are you yeah. Some sort of musician this, or something. I, yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Some sort of clarinetist or something. So yeah. Mozart clarinet. The premiere concerto. of the Mozart clarinet concerto. Okay. Yeah. Mozart is. This might be a hot take. Of all the classic writers symphony mozart's the man and i will hear no he's but the guy that's pretty that you're walking out on a limb right there <laughs> no i'm just saying mozart. he's stone stone cold crazy oh yeah, yeah and awesome at what he does do you mean classic in the broader term i'm yeah <laughs> like just classic i was a music major for like five minutes so i okay. forget a lot of stuff you know but because yeah. he also was in the classical period so i wasn't sure whether you meant no that i'll put him thought. up against anybody okay. so rachel is also a musicologist we did not I get oh, wait yeah give us your just like straight like what are you right now what am i right yeah. now so i'm i'm currently a uh, phd student at WashU in St. Louis. Dr. Uh, Rachel. Not yet. Well, someday. Pre-doctor. Yeah. Pre-doctor. Pre-musicology. Pre, pre, pre um, not, not even like technically a PhD candidate, depending on the school's definition of candidate, because yeah. I'm not yet ABD. Um, What's that mean? All but dissertation. Okay. Oh. Um, <laughs> I tell you, this is very educational. I'm learning stuff. <laughs> so many, so many letters. So I just finished my second year, and it's a six-year program. Uh, I have one more year of classes, and then it's I have three years of funding for my dissertation. Do you have a master's? I don't. Will you need a master's? So is that part of the program? My program let me straight in without a master's, okay. and we technically, like, if I decided that I wanted to leave um, without getting the PhD, I could do stuff to get a master's instead. Yeah. But that's. I don't. When did you graduate? Get one. I graduated from undergrad in 2017. Okay, and you went to Lake Forest College. Yes. Okay. Yeah. What is that? It's a small liberal arts school uh, north of Chicago. Yeah. Why'd you pick that one? What was your major? I so I was an English major uh, until I decided I wanted to write that paper about the Beatles in One Direction. Uh, I need to remember <laughs> what you said on the other podcast. I heard you versus. Oh right, because I also because went through I was a lot like, of that. Yeah, we already talked about. It. No, no we, didn't. we didn't. That was on the other one. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so I was I was an English major, and then I became a music major because of that paper about the Beatles in One Direction. Um, well, and what did didn't, someone told you? Yeah. So my yeah. my advisor was like, "Hey, you do realize that you're literally like doing musicology right now? You should do this." What is musicology? Musicology. That's a great question. Yeah. Um, so musicology... Aside from a slamming Prince song. I Ooh. forgot that that's a Prince song. Yeah, and it's actually not that great of a Prince song, yeah. as Prince songs go. It's not a bad song, but it's in the lower tier of Prince songs. Um, so musicology, I study how music fits into like history and culture, basically. That's the short answer. Um, I do a little bit of music theory as part of that. I do a little bit of ethnography as part of that. 
That's very cool. Yeah. It so is very cool. It's the study of how music hits us. Yeah. Not just the study of what music is. Yeah. But it's a little bit of both. Yeah. But it's, it's the sociology. A little bit. Of music. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Because I always think of like psychology is like what we all think as individuals. Mm-hmm. Sociology is what we all think and do as right. a group. Right. Yeah. Hogwarts house. Oh, Slytherin. Yeah. We what? Not, yet, I, we, I can't believe we've had multiple Hufflepuffs, yeah. including yourself. Yeah. Uh, and no Slytherin yet. Yeah. Uh, I really thought, who did I, I thought, uh, oh, none of our guests yet. No, there was, I was I talking to somebody else the, the other day that I was sure was a Slytherin. So does that mean you're going to like rob banks or something? That like? is exactly what it means. Okay. I've, I robbed a bank this morning. <laughs> were you disappointed when you found that out or you were delighted? I was disappointed at first. Yeah. I used to see, see myself as a Ravenclaw. Um, and I do still think that yeah, I like very too. strongly yeah. both. Yeah, I think I'm on the record now of, that I'm officially a Gryffindor. You're, oh wow! But I don't see myself as a Gryffindor. <laughs> I have always identified as Ravenclaw, and I've taken it twice. And Pottermore really doesn't let you take it more than once. No, you, really you have, have to, to trick it. Yeah. And I took it twice, and I was Gryffindor both times. And I was like, no, I'm a Ravenclaw. But so many disappointments. Yeah. Alas. No, so I I took the Pottermore quiz and I got Slytherin, but I own it now hmm. did you have yeah. to like live into it did you like color every scarf you had green <laughs> and black or uh no oh, okay. nothing like that so what are you a proud slytherin now i am so wh- why what? why um because so for me what changed in your disappointment to your now i think acceptance of yeah life? part of it was that i think at the time when i found out about it i was not willing to own the things that i wanted um, as things I really, that I wanted. I love how seriously we're taking yes. this No, this I mean, question. like... <laughs> yeah, it's an important question. I do think it's it's as valid as the Enneagram and yeah, the yeah. Myers-Briggs in terms of understanding people's personalities, especially people who understand the Harry Potter uh, oeuvre. oeuvre. But, uh, Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Great word. <laughs> yep. Um, but, yeah, so I don't think at the time I was, like, willing to embrace the fact that I wanted things, that I, like, that I wanted to achieve things. Um, and now I'm willing to acknowledge that like, no, I want to do important stuff and I want to say things and I want people to listen to me when I say things. And I think that I have stuff that is worth saying that people should listen to. I'm sorry. What was that? (laughs) (laughs) I saw that coming. I did. I I saw you waiting for it. Yeah, we do. I hadn't, I wasn't looking for the joke there, but that was the right joke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I'm always, I'm impressed with how they seem like such a simple plot device in a kid's book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they're really well thought out in that, like a personality test, you can see the bad parts of each of the houses, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. each of the personalities that take you in the house, but they all do have good parts as well. And Slytherin is, is often where the villains come from. Yeah. But you can tell that J.K. Rowling does not mean it to be everyone in Slytherin is right. bad. The right. evil yeah. house. Yeah. It's just yeah. that the people that we, I mean, they're a, it's a whole house. Yeah. And we only know two or three of them. Right. Um, and... In a simplistic way, a lot of the bad guys come from there, right? Uh, and a lot of the Death Eaters are, are are Slytherin and stuff. But that there are really good ones. And I mean, Sirius Black isn't, is an isn't Peter one. Pettigrew the only one that we learn is not a Slytherin, like canonically? I feel like all the other Death Eaters, yeah, yeah. are are Slytherins. Yeah, but they can't be, right? Yeah, but I think that the way that again, because it's I feel like it's a deeper nuance that yeah. she doesn't have time for at that point, yeah. especially because the books are so full. Absolutely. Yeah, right. you get to so get much the last and also we're other. learning everything from Harry's perspective. Yeah. Right. So oh, yeah. it's it's hard and, to some Yeah, degree. for the necessity of the story, Slytherin is terrible. Yeah. 
and that, but but Harry or J.K. Rowling is is brilliant enough that you can tell that she would very easily say right, right. Slytherin is not a bad house. Yeah, it's just bad for this kid. Yeah, and there, I mean, like it's, I know that she's like a West Ham uh, fan <laughs> for football, but and she may be like uh, that Liverpool is not a bad team, but I don't like them right. in any way right. because I'm not a Liverpool fan. In the yeah. same way that I can admit that there have been good decent people who played on the Yankees but I will never admit that because I hate the Yankees I'm a Yankees fan yeah you are Ooh, in, yeah. A, in a way that that is really troubling for me <laughs> in that they're the I have to go to New York once a year yeah and, and again I could the, care the, less the about there. baseball I have to there's a lot of I lived in North Carolina for a very long time yeah no but and it's, did my not aunt, it's my aunt's beach house there's no rooting for the Mets in that house do you man. have to wear a Yankees hat to get into the yeah oh. there's like a scanner at the door you know what that sounds like that sounds like the most Yankees fan thing to do <laughs> it really is yeah it really <laughs> Yankees fans insist that you must be a fan so, so, so you are known for Twitter rants, uh, for lack oh, of a better I word. I think it's Twitter education. Discursion, yeah. 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 Uh, so I'm just going to throw yeah. the softballs down the pike and let you go for it. Uh, I thought you were a Christian. Why would you read Harry Potter? Isn't that oh, all witchcraft oh and sorcery and terrible? Um, I actually haven't answered that question in so long that that's not a softball for me. Uh, (laughs) um, I mean, reading something is not like believing that everything that's happening in it is true. Mm. Like, I also, my, my, whoa, whoa, whoa. You mean there's not witchcraft and wizardry? Like, oh, no, you're right. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry to ruin that for you. (laughs) My, my uh, pushback to all of that was one, that's a stupid question for that reason. Like it's a kid's book. Right. Uh, I also don't believe that 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 people live in space and have Star Wars like that. <laughs> I don't think that that's a true thing, but I love it. And but uh, J.K. Rowling uh, always downplays it, or doesn't downplay. It, she just doesn't talk about it because it's not relevant. Yeah. But she's a member of the Church of Scotland, yeah. which is the Presbyterian Church. Yeah. Yep. So she's a Presbyterian. Yep. One of ours. Yeah. It's yeah. still like has always been. Yep. And and if you look at the books in that way, they are very deeply. Uh, entrenched in Christian mm-hmm. theology mm-hmm. and Christian imagery, th- there's a quote from Matthew in the last book yeah. uh, on one of the tombstones, and it's a very prescient quote. Like it's there not just as a plot device, but as one that really sums up a lot of what's going on in the whole whole thing. Anyway, I was at a popular <laughs> Christian music festival, and they had breakouts, kind of like the conference does. And one guy dedicated an hour and a half to how anybody who read Harry Potter. Oof. was going to hell. And I was oh, like, no. uh, oh, no. bro, that's a miserable waste of an hour and a half. Yeah, really You could is. have read two Harry Potter books <laughs> the amount of time. You should have just pulled out a Harry Potter book and started reading it <laughs> well, while he was talking. It was funny. It was during one of the releases. I think it was, uh, so it was, um, oh, shoot, I lost it. What's the sixth one? Half-Blood Half Prince. Prince. Yep, that one. That one had just come out. And so like a whole bunch of people went to Barnes & Noble and yeah. they gave you a little wristband yeah. to oh, wait in line yeah. to get the book. And I went and got the book yeah. that night. And so he started ranting and raving and I stood up and just walked out with my wristband <laughs> in the air. I was like, see you, bud. Could people tell it was a Harry Potter wristband or I that mean, was just I don't know you? if anybody really caught it. So you're it, like but... the Judd Nelson of that. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So I, the interesting thing, we were talking about this a little last night, is that the last book, uh, Deathly Hallows, came out the night before Mission Conference. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, what was that, 20... 2007. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. Wow. And they wow, those books are that old. Yes, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Holy cow! And we so so many people showed up at conference with fresh copies of the Deathly Hallows. Yeah, and 
everyone who actually was willing to buy that book and come here was also desperate to not have it spoiled. Yes. And so there was this panic the entire week <laughs> that someone is going to spoil it. So someone's going to get their hands on it. And the internet wasn't quite as ubiquitous as it is right, right now. So right. it's not like people could just look it up on their phones and spoil it. Mm -hmm. But the, the thought that somebody would be mean enough to kind of find the ending and just shout it out yeah. or something. Yeah. And that was my panic the whole time. But I also, we went to the closest place you could get it here was Walmart. Uh, and so we went to Walmart on the night because we were here for staff, so we had to be here a day early. Oh, yeah. And so we couldn't mm. buy it at our local places. Mm -hmm. And I actually had a copy on order, but it wasn't coming. And so we went to Walmart. Mine also came late. Yeah, it came yeah. like Tuesday. Oh, I ended week. up with three copies. <laughs> um, but we went to Walmart, and they at Walmart they had um, you could wait in line. Um, and as soon and if you were there for the because it's a twenty four hour Walmart, so it wasn't closed. Yeah, so it's yeah. just like if you're showing up for Harry Potter, they would give you a wristband, and it was a like a a, a rubber. Livestrong wristband brand, mm -hmm. uh, that was depending on the group that you came in. It was divided by the four houses. Oh, oh and wow. so the first two, we were in the third group, and so I got Ravenclaw, oh. and it was a blue bracelet that just said Ravenclaw, and on the inside of it, no, on the other other side, it had the date mm -hmm. of the release. That's cute. And I wore that bracelet for four years. Yeah. But that was a really interesting year watching everybody kind of dig into that. And yeah. slowly, that's such a good book and such the right ending, mm -hmm. but in not the way you're expecting yeah. it to be. Yeah. That watching people kind of, as they ended, everyone just had this look of contentment on their face. Right. But it was like very uh, contemplative in yeah. that sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, so 2007, how old were you when Harry Potter was a thing? I was going, so 2007, I was going into seventh grade. When? When did you start reading them? The I was in second grade when okay. I started the first book. Yeah. Yeah. So these are like, I mean, like what, what kind of relation? I don't know how to ask this question. Like, what kind of relationship do you have with these characters? Like, are they? You were almost tracking with his age then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was younger. You were a little bit, a couple years younger. But so you were like eight, seven, or eight. When second I, grade? I mean, I don't first grade, second grade. So I don't remember. I don't remember. Ages. Based on my kids' ages, yeah. You've been, Seven or eight. I was going to yeah. say, you guys probably know better than I do yeah. what my, my ages are, my, were My then. daughter is going into third grade, okay. so, and she's currently eight. Okay. Yeah. And then would have been like 14 when you finished, if you're going into seventh. No. I would have been 13. 13, yeah. So, I mean, it's a smaller thing, but you're not far from his yeah. age. Yeah. And I was really, there's one point where she doesn't make it very clear, but she does date it at one point. Yes. And then... And then you can like kind of backlog it like people do with the Bible mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> to be like, this is how old the world is. But it made me it realize I'm sorry, did that, you just compare uh, Harry Potter to the Bible? Yeah, all the time. Yes. <laughs> what is that podcast that treats it like a sacred text? Oh, I don't remember. It's oh, oh. it's a great podcast that I only listen to the first couple episodes that they deal with the Harry Potter. It's a bunch of agnostics, basically. And I think maybe a rabbi. Um, and they treat the Harry Potter books as, as though they're a sacred text, not... Actually, yeah, but they break it down like this is a sacred book for so many people. Right. So let's treat it as such. Let's 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 break this down, and um, like in the way that people do with other sacred texts, yeah. Yeah. and and see the depth of it. Um, at any rate, though, uh, in in dating the book, I realized that Harry Potter is exactly my age. Really? Yeah, that he was that the book starts when he's ten, and it would be nineteen ninety. And he would have been done in book seven in 1997. Yeah. And that's that tracks with him being 17 when I was 17. Yeah. So what is it? For, I, I don't know if there's an intersection here or not, but f as a musicologist, what's the importance of fable and Ooh. story and fiction that 
I, I don't know. I feel like Harry Potter is not just a fiction series, right? Like right. there's something else. Do you know about Wizard Rock? I don't. So there was a whole thing. It was like the later 2000s when it was really big. Um, because it did manage to hold on like past Harry Potter ending because the movies were still happening. Um, musicians were making music just about Harry this Potter. This is how Darren Criss got big, right? Well, no, he got big because of a Harry Potter musical. Okay. Um, but is that not far to, part of the same? I uh, I think of it or as part of it. I guess. <laughs> if I, yeah. I think of them as separate, just because a very okay. Potter musical was like a theater. So, but thing. Wizard Rock is a genre. Wizard Rock is okay. a genre of music, like a niche genre of music where they write music that is just about Harry Potter or from the perspective of a character from Harry Potter. Okay. Um, there's this one dude who was a one-person band named the Whomping Willows, and Ooh, he just excellent. was the Whomping Willow, yeah. and so he wrote songs from the perspective of the Whomping Willow. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, and so the one that he was best known for was one where he was describing uh, Harry and Draco Malfoy being in a relationship and them sitting in the Whomping Willow and kissing. Yeah. And that's the song. (laughs) Um, And that's the song. And it's just from the perspective of the Whomping Willow about Draco and Harry kissing. That's been the most interesting thing, especially because every time I think of the 2000s, I just think of people like boy bands all wearing white. (laughs) <laughs> like, like, like that's the most defining which is like the early yeah yeah and then yeah. like Mamba number no. 5 yeah and stuff like that and then the latter like musically it's a terrible decade yeah, oh yeah because um, yeah, it it's all like three doors down and whoa 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 yeah <laughs> no I'm kidding yeah <laughs> and uh, uh, Nickelback and stuff like that I mean there was good stuff happening but but by and large it was defined by a lot of yeah. a lot of just like milk toast blah like not even so bad it's bad like you can look at a lot of the 70s stuff and be like oh there's some terrible stuff going on there but there's mm-hmm. also great stuff going mm-hmm. on there. anyway i'm gonna pull out of that road because that's not going where we're going uh <laughs> but all that what i was starting all to that say, is to say all <laughs> that is to say I'm, I'm getting better at catching myself the merch yeah uh i had a new i don't know if i put this on the, on the podcast the, the new game is not eat an oreo you need to get yourself a sleeve of saltines oh no and no water and so I think this should go for any drinking game. So this would translate any any drinking game that is out there on the internet that people want to try. They're all stupid. Don't do them. Yeah, right. What you should do instead is get a sleeve of saltines with no water. And every time you're supposed to take a drink, eat a saltine. And when they pile up, your mouth is going to get very dry. Yeah. Saltines are really easy to eat as long as you have water. And so for this one, if you hear, by the by, yeah. or all that is to say, you need to eat a saltine <laughs> and, and no, not drink any water until the podcast is over. And see, I think we've gotten better at being aware of it. Yeah, but, we've caught ourselves. Uh, uh, all that is to say uh, that, that um, 12 years ago, we were in a different place in terms of awareness of LGBT yeah. folks and inclusion and just awareness. And these, and people, JK Rowling got such guff after the fact when she just matter of factly said, oh, Dumbledore was gay. Right. Uh, and at first, a lot of people said like, oh, you're just saying that now because you're trying to be controversial where clearly he wasn't gay. Mm-hmm. But she wrote him to be gay but that wasn't the point right. like, she wrote it in the most mature way possible and that she understand these characters and as we were talking about with Slytherin Slytherin was not all bad and yeah. J.K. Rowling knew that but from the point of view of the story from the perspective of Harry they're terrible right and so, and from the perspective of Harry, it doesn't matter whether Dumbledore is gay or heterosexual well, or anything. P.S. He's asexual. Yes, for... that's the most anti-LGBTQ thing you could come up with. Like, that character you created, yeah. I'll tell you what 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I have no. identified this person. Like, I uh, invented him. <laughs> I know him. But it's interesting that the fan reaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, thinking of the Whomping Willow song, this was that's where it brought me to the, yes, the, yeah, this, yeah, this time. I, I knew exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that that even in as the series itself didn't really touch on that, mm-hmm. but it made space for it. Like clearly in in J.K. Rowling's mind, that was very present, and it's a very ethnically diverse book. Mm-hmm. For the time, yes, I, yeah, for yeah. a for an Anglo-Saxon centered area, yes, like there are there are characters that are identified as non-white in a way that they did not have to be, right, um, and so and then it plays out in the movies, and I do appreciate that at least casting-wise for the movies there are uh, people of Indian descent, people of African right. descent, uh, as identified in the book again in a way that they didn't have to be, right. um, and that doesn't mean that they were done. It it wasn't tokenized in a way but it also wasn't capitalized in a way so like it could have gone further but it was more diverse than it needed it was to more be diverse than for a book we might expect it to be yeah. yes um and so for the fan reaction so much of the fan reaction to be uh responding to themes of inclusivity and theme, like bringing that into it in a way that that was very sin- right. uh, s- s- sympathetic <laughs> very in line with the 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 book like it made the the books became more inclusive based on the fan reaction but it made sense it was not inconsistent with what the things were i also i mean i do think that part of it is reflective of just how fandom functions Mm -hmm. too because i don't know how much time you might have spent in fandoms either of you a little Um, bit but probably not i mean not in the so us boeing both growing up in the age of the internet but pre-internet in terms of fandom yeah. So well, that was still I, so, happening. But yeah, like, yeah. Y- in my, it's not in spaces where it's easy to get to. And there to. was, I mean, we were very much in the Comic-Con era right. and the, the fan club era. Mm-hmm. So to be a fan, you would get on the mail list, you right. would go to the con, you right. would go, and all those things are still there now, but the... There's a new world. The other spaces the, there, And there not, was, yeah. there were, there were uh, discussion boards, mm-hmm. but that was not, that was very, very niche. Whereas right. like most of the stuff, like there is a subreddit for anything that you want yeah. and that's where you go to find everything right you want. absolutely you can go other places but everything is uh they are there are um uh they're curated mm-hmm. in a way that they were not yeah. when when so for me to be a harry potter fan um in 2007 being 27 years old yeah. if i wanted to learn about harry potter i read more books about harry potter right. uh i maybe went to websites but even then it would like the the websites at that point were all middle school kids yes just L- telling no because i was gonna yeah. say that was i yeah. was on all those websites and it was fanfic stuff yes not detail stuff yes. not not canon stuff not like and talking so about that and i think story. that's an interesting thing that i'm curious about because where the difference in fandom that i've experienced was i'm not into fan fiction mm-hmm. uh just because to me that's not canon so I have no interest in it, and I want things to be official. Uh, the collector part of me wants things, wants canon, and um, so anything that's outside of that, I am not as interested in. But you are one who I know you write fanfic, but you're not as into fanfic. Uh, yeah, I don't read fanfic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so. That, I saw that tweet. That's so interesting to me. So you write it. But I you, write it, but I so don't read it. As okay. people who are not in, I, I'm speaking for you. You are also not into fan fiction. <laughs> no, not especially. Okay. No. Uh, and and again, my my again my pushback against fan fiction is not the idea that it shouldn't exist and it's right. stupid, but that because it's not canon, I don't want to put my energy yeah. into put something that is just hypothetical. Right. Uh, despite everything else I do in my life and all these conversations where I'm all about <laughs> the hypotheticals. Like, what right. if this? What if you could travel back in time and go to any concert that you want? 
Uh, so what what did fanfic mean to you? Why do you write it? What kind of fanfic do you write? What's... Oh, that's so many questions. Every time um, I think of fanfic, I always just think of Fifty Shades of Grey, oof. which was, I know, the worst example yeah, of yeah. it. But so Fifty Shades of Grey, for those who don't know, started as a fanfiction for Twilight. Really? Yes. Yeah. And it was someone who just wanted to write a really sexually explicit fanfiction about the characters in Twilight, of whom I do not know. Bella, I think. Yes. And then Edward. Cedric Diggory. <laughs> <laughs> Batman, he I believe, is what you mean. It was, yet, it was actually a Twilight Harry Potter crossover yeah, 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 fanfic. Yeah. And so then she realized it had appeal enough that she, if she changed the name, she could write, she could publish it. Yeah. And then she did. So and, tell but us that's why she's E.L. James, very much like, I guess it would be J.K. Rowling, but she she put it under E.L. James to uh, remove the gender from her name to try to sell it. Yeah. yeah. So what do you write? I write a lot of things. Um m- I have also written a lot of things. Most recently, I I actually am writing a Harry Potter fanfic right now. Nice. Um, that I is it in in the timeline of the books or is it around it or so it's uh, an alternate universe. Oh, fic. Um, Star Trek new trilogy where where there's <laughs> there's time turner stuff happening, which <sighs> is like that's a niche. I love time fanfic stuff. genre. Um, so we. Sorry to interrupt, yeah. but the, sorry, that's that's my identity. No, uh, it's fine. <laughs> uh, my daughter, the mm-hmm. eight-year-old, we are reading through book three, the best book. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Oh, that's another question. Yeah, what's the best book? <laughs> Prisoner of Azkaban. What's the best movie? I also like Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, and then Half-Blood Prince. Here's my hot take. Worst movie, Half-Blood Prince. Or no, worst movie, uh, uh, Prisoner of Azkaban. Mm. I dislike that the most because it's the best book. And it's the shortest movie. Right. And uh, Alfonso Cuaron, who I love every... I don't like Itumama Tambien, but I like everything else he's done. Mm-hmm. Um, really like everything else he's done, especially Children of Men. Um, but the stuff that he adds to that yeah. really distracts me from the... And Buckbeak gets short shrift. Like, there's just, they, I, they, yeah. they have to push through too many... There's such so many complicated subplots in that mm-hmm. one, which make it really exciting. Um, yeah. But the time turner stuff is so great. It's yep. a, my my daughter. We just got we got to what should have been the end. When you're reading it, I mean, what you feel like is the end. Yeah. The reveal of Peter Pettigrew. Right. Spoiler to a book that's 12 years old. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then you haven't heard about the time turner stuff. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. And then so she's just about to have her mind blown. Amazing. And it's super exciting. Amazing. Uh, what is so brilliant about the way she writes the books is that they are written for, I think, the age that Harry is in the book. Mm. In that. So the book, he's 10 years old in the first book and a 10 year old, it's a very straightforward, like magical, like you're more than you thought. And the danger in book one is real in ret, like when we see it later, but in the book is safe enough that like, it's a goofy troll. And then it's this faceless monster that you never, like you have to play games to get to and you only see him at the very end. And Mm -hmm. that's when people Mm -hmm. come in to kind of scare you away. Uh, And then book two the danger is a little more real. It's a little more complicated. They have a little more autonomy. Book three gets... Comp- so that's for like a 12-year-old. Yeah. He's 11 in the first book, sorry. Uh, and then 12 in the second book. Book three, when it's 13, you really start thinking of more complicated, yeah. abstract things. And the plot is so complicated and abstract, like in the time travel and everything. And the, and then book four is very relational. And people die, actually. So the stakes are real, like mm-hmm. being like 14. Like now you have to deal with adult stuff, even though you're not really. Book five, they're mad at each other the whole book. It's so, ex- like it's a great book, but it's Puberty. exhausting to read. Yeah. yeah. And it's Puberty. so long and so much of it, they're mad at each other for dumb things, but so true to being 15 uh, and then 16, 17. Anyway, 
So, fanfic. <laughs> I don't remember what I was saying. You were writing your fanfic yeah, on so Time I was, Turners. I was writing it about time travel, uh, which is like a whole niche genre of Harry Potter fanfic, which is basically just an excuse for people to write about the Marauders yeah. uh, while also having them interact yeah, yeah. with other characters. So why is it that you write fanfic but don't read it? I, that was intriguing, an intriguing line of thought to me. It's honestly just that I don't really like most other people's takes on the characters. <laughs> where do you put fanfic? Like, where's one? So the one that I use is Archive of Our Own. Okay. Uh, it's called AO3 by people who are in the know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, that one is considered better than fanfiction.net, if you've ever heard of that, because fanfiction.net is uh, – you. Can just anyone can just sign up and post things. Archive of our own, you at least have to go on a waiting list to then get a code to go on. So you have to be like a little bit more intentional about going yeah. on. And but no one like judges your work to no. see whether it's worthy. Um, but then people will like like or like bookmark it or comment, and it's a lot easier to sort by certain qualities yeah. on Archive of Our Own. So it's a lot easier to find stuff that's what you want. Um, but I don't like that many people's takes on most of the characters that yeah. I'm interested in reading or writing fan fiction for because it's like usually more complicated characters because like so do you know Marvelous Mrs. Maisel yeah I've also written some Marvelous Mrs. Maisel fan oh fiction. my because um, I that's an interest I wouldn't have thought that that would be a fanfic type yeah no it's and it's, does everything have fanfic pretty much everything is there West Wing fanfic oh 100% hey hey 100% yeah, yeah. Um, no so I is have, there Studio 60 Sunset no, Strip. No, that series ended. <laughs> I like that one. So that's I, it's a great. That's my series. dark horse for Aaron Sorkin. I really like. It's that a series. great series, but yeah. no, it's fine. Um, no, so I uh, specifically um, because I love the idea of Midge and Lenny dating, even though I don't think that it will ever actually happen. Like, how long is your? Generally, how long is the stuff that you write? Is it short story? I levels? usually write shorter things. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you could paginate it, I, know I have. It's online, so it's... I have written some long. It's word count okay. would be how we keep track. So um, what's your average? The um, probably about like five thousand, six thousand words. Oh, that's longer. Than but so. then I've also written. So I once did a fanfic for NaNoWriMo. Um, for who? What? <laughs> Say what now? Um, I just had a stroke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a uh, National Novel Writing Month. Which oh. is November. Uh, and You're all about the acronyms. I really, I, <laughs> you know, uh, and it's when you try to write a fifty thousand word novel in a, the month of November. Yeah. So I did a fanfic for that once that resulted in like a seventy five thousand word fic. Oh sweet! What is the most niche fanfic that you write? Like, what is the the? I guess you write fanfic about anything. Um. I mean, I once wrote an ironic fanfic about something that I was like, I'm annoyed that there isn't fanfic yeah, of this because yeah, yeah. sometimes yeah. there just should be, even if it's just bad. So I once wrote a uh, chopped fanfic <laughs> 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 because I was like, why is there not any Alex Garnaschelli Scott Conant fanfic? Yeah, yeah. I don't ship them, but like, yeah. there should be one. Yeah. So I just wrote one. What? Um, so what is? Uh, I mean, it sounds like you write more fanfic than even. I thought at the beginning of this kind Probably. of this thing. So what what is your why do you do it? Like what what is the personal mm -hmm. what do you get out of writing it? Because you said yeah. you aren't right you don't read other people's stuff. Right. Um so what is your is it therapeutic? Is it what is it? Uh it's honestly like 
part of the Slytherin in me. Yeah. <laughs> where do I'm like... Do you want people to read it? I do. Okay. Uh, and it's part of the Slytherin in me where I'm like, I want people to know what these characters actually the are. Too, yeah, no, 100% yeah. where yeah. I'm like... Here's people, information. Here's, people need to know yeah. what these characters actually are because yeah. uh, I understand them in a way that you don't. Yeah, yeah. Because I have both of the thinking and the, the yeah. feeling and yeah. I can... I'm I'm very... Like, fives are also very empathetic. We were talking about the four being... Yeah. The nine being, like, super yeah. empathetic. Fives are also incredibly empathetic because we, that. we have that... <laughs> Because we have that combination of thinking and feeling where yeah. we like are constantly assessing everything all the time, but then also like very aware of feelings. Especially the four or five combo, I would think. Yes. Because the, the, the five, I would think, would be like, let me write a paper about... Or a fanfic. Yeah, but I would about... think the, the fanfic, I think, would, would be a little more of the four because it's the feeling part. I'm... Maybe I don't know fours and fives. Mm... Let me tell you what you... But, what yeah, what I know. Let me tell you about this thing. Um, I, I write it in a very like thinking sort of way yeah. so is that a, a normal way that you would process a piece of art that you like it's yeah like let me write a few have you read a one day at a time fanfic i haven't i've read some actually is that there, was one where i have read some is there alf fanfic probably oh. how do i don't you, know why that, that was just the weirdest thing i could think probably of yeah. how do you make time because we were talking about on the way over that you haven't had time with grad school doctoral to, yeah thesis, like is this something you intentionally make time for out of your schedule or is that like just when I've got time? It's more when I've got time. Um, it used to be something that I did all the time. I used to write fanfic in class, like mm. when I was in high school. Yeah. Um, and now it's more something that like when I have time. Um, so like the first Marvelous Mrs. Maisel fic that I wrote, it was the day before my first um, seminar, my second semester of grad school. I like had binged all of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, this is great. Which is a series that if you're not familiar with, one should binge it. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, really 100%. Great. It won a bunch of Emmys. Grammys? Emmys. <laughs> not Grammys. <laughs> Grammys. Nope. Yeah. I mean, like that's, I think people that weren't as hip to it until it got nominated for a yeah. ton of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I had binged all of it um, the first season. And I was like, oh, Midge and Lenny should totally kiss. Uh, I should write that happen. <laughs> um, that was it. That was, that was the premise. Um, and so that was me, like, processing their relationship. And that was one where I, like, made time for it, but it was only, like, 1,000, 2,000 words. So that writing is, is uh, energy-giving. Yes. Yeah, okay. 100%. So it's a, it's a way of uh, – it's a – not coping. It's a it's – a, It has been a coping. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but, but, but I didn't mean it in that yeah, sense. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the way that some people exercise, and that's yeah. energizing for them, but it's not for me. Uh, like, that, that – Writing is one of the most energizing things for me. Yeah. <laughs> so – uh, given your history, given your your um, uh, relationship with the church, relationship with media, relationship with faith, and kind of uh, as articulated up to this point, yes. uh, it seems that uh, um, well, and I mean, rather than tell you this about you, I'll ask you this about you. Do you feel like, um, and this is kind of a straightforward question, mm -hmm. uh, where are you with faith? Have you? Uh, it seems like you haven't given up on the church. No. Um, at the church, big C, not right. the church as an institution, but the right. idea of of Jesus yeah. being an awesome person who saves us, yeah. uh, being God, kind of that thing. Um, and uh, so I guess, uh, let me put it, like, maybe articulate why haven't you given up on it? Um, and then uh, I'll ask the next question later because this is a, that's too much that's question a, to give That's such a yeah. huge question. Yeah. Why haven't I give up on the, given up on the church? Um, I mean, I haven't given up on my faith because I have had enough moments where I've been like, oh, I like feel God telling me to do this thing. Yeah. I felt God telling me to go to grad school. 
um, like hardcore. When my advisor was like, hey, you should do musicology, yeah. it was because he explained to me what grad students should be if they go to grad school. And it was him telling me the um, Venn diagram that you described on an episode yeah. where it's like, what is the biggest thing that you think the world needs? What is your biggest like talent or skill? What is like your, the thing that you love the most? Yeah. He described that and it was, I had drawn it at conference that summer before. Oh, nice. And I was like, oh, and then I'm like sometimes alarmed add by the this. fourth of like what makes money, which is not unimportant, I mean, but it's unimportant. Unimportant for, yeah. for grad school. I love the discernment of call to non-ministry yeah. related things. One, because I, or to a secular thing, because one, there is no secular. Mm-hmm. Like that God calls us to do what we're supposed to do. Yeah. And for it's not to be a missionary and be a minister for everybody. And we act in the church like that's what it's to do. And wh- what you're doing is what God wants you to do. And it's serving, like it is ministry. I also, it is, like, I, all that stuff. I genuinely think, so part of it, I said, as I was describing my mission lab from last year, part of what got me there was being in grad school. Yeah. Um, and I definitely see myself as like kind of serving here. Yeah, absolutely. At, I at also people, see that. I affirm who... external affirmation of call. <laughs> external yes. affirmation. Um, so I wouldn't be here if it weren't for grad school. Yeah. So like clearly it, it is like important that mm-hmm. I went to grad school in order to be in a place where I can be doing stuff here that is yeah. important. And you went straight from undergrad to grad school. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, straight out. Yeah. Which is, there's great advantage in, and some disadvantage yeah. to that. Uh, it was but, it was right for me. Yeah, and it but, really I think it depends on the person and yeah. the program, and that uh, especially having that affirmation call. There's no point in delaying the call just to be like, well, I should probably have a couple years right, of being exactly. a working step. Yeah. Um, so part of it is like moments like that where I've been like, oh, I like feel God telling me to do this. This is, does not feel like a coincidence. Yeah. Like I have faith that this is something more than just a world happening yeah. thing coincidence. Yeah. Um, and then my faith in the church just kind of like follows along behind that sort of. Um, so I don't go to church. One of the things that made me so excited about your podcast was I listened to it and I was like, wait, this is something that like I actually feel like every week it'll make me listen, think about God huh. for an hour. And that's awesome. Sweet. Uh, and I love that because I haven't been able to find a church that I feel comfortable in in St. Louis. Um, I wish that I were still in Chicago because I think I would be able to find one in Chicago. Yeah, there's some good ones in Chicago. Um, and I realize that part of it is that I just... There's certainly good ones in St. Louis. Yeah. I don't know of them, yeah. nor do you, but um, I know of a couple in Chicago. Too. Part of it is that just that everyone around me is queer, hmm. and I'm yeah. so used to being in incredibly queer spaces. And there's not a whole lot of churches no. that are that are, that are are either open to that or ready for it. Right. I think that there are churches that are open to it but don't know how to do that yes. yet. And, and I've, so, yeah. I went to some of those in yeah. St. Louis, and I was like, this that is That really not what want, I want to, but they just don't know how. Yeah. Yeah. And really, the answer is you need to do things differently, yeah. which is full stop the answer to everything the church is doing right now. I was at a church just this week in D.C. that was really inclusive and like one of the first times I saw a church doing it right. Yeah. And there were 15 people there. Yeah. And I honestly think that there's a correlation there, that yeah. there might be something about the smallness that actually allows you to make those changes on the fly to be more open and yeah. inclusive. Well, and it's like, really hard not to objectify yeah. the people you're trying to include. In the in the sense of like, here's my black friend that I that I'm gonna like that kind of thing. Like, here's my gay friend. Like right, that right. to tokenize them yep. and Look, use, use them as See, a as a manner ten. of really just making yourself feel better and yeah. and using them as a as a the way that certain conferences put people of color on the poster every year to make yeah. it feel like this is a more diverse place. Maybe not Cer- this place. Certain, certain conferences. conferences. You know what I'm talking about. Other conferences. Uh, yeah. And if you're that one person of color who comes, you always end up on the poster every year. Yeah. Uh, certain colleges also do that. Yep. And churches 
also do that. Yeah. We do that with kids. We do that with anything that is appealing, and we can do that with with uh, with queer folks, with with people of color, or with people who, when we want to project that we're diverse, we can put that out forward to say, look where we are. But that doesn't always mean it. So that's what is keeping me in the church is like my faith, but the church is kind of just trailing along for the mm. ride more than anything yeah. for me. Mm. I do think that very much so the church is in a time of transition. The Huge. church, like the, the idea of the body of Christ, the church in America, Western yeah. Christianity, and moving away from this idea of the church as an institution and to a church as a community, which is the, I mean, that's a, that's a constant flux that the, that's a cycle that church has always been in since the inception of the church. You see it from the beginning of Acts through halfway through Acts, it all of a sudden becomes an institution and it's struggling with how do we do that. And so, I think part of where uh, where people right now who have not given up on faith and not given up on the concept of church, the community of church, but that there is no place for it. Right. It's a hard time right now because the church doesn't, the church is in the process of reformation mm-hmm. um, and doesn't, is resistant to that as everybody is. In the same way that our country is in the process of reformation and we're resistant to it. And we're, I, I've said, I, a couple weeks ago, I said that I think we're in a better place with race and, and gender than we've ever been, which is a really stupid thing to say on its surface because <laughs> things are so toxic. But I think we're in a better place in that we have, it's, we're in a better place like the, like the person who has cancer, who has had cancer yes. and now has the diagnosis. Yeah. So we have the diagnosis. We are racist. We are uh, uh, misogynist. We, are all, we, are, we love war and violence and all these things. Right. And so we know that. And as much as people are trying to deny it, like climate change, we know that too. We can try to deny it. That's a better place than when we all accepted that that wasn't a problem, when we all thought we were colorblind and solved racism. Uh, it doesn't mean we've solved it, but just admitting it. And the church is in a place where we've realized that the way we've done church, a lot of the church is starting to realize the way we've done church just doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, and it's not the church. Now, there's resistance to that, and that's, you get a lot of schism and new denominations forming around trying to hold on to this idea of we can still do it the old way. But I think a lot of the mainline denominations and a lot of the larger Christianity um, and a lot of the progressive Christianity, not that progressive Christianity is the future of the church, but as progressive Christianity is realizing we can't just be the silent folks uh, who love quietly. We need to actively bring our voices into spaces and let people know that there's a lot of, and, and give voice for people who have who've not given up on their faith, but haven't found a place in the church because the church doesn't provide space for people to talk about non-conservative issues. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm very encouraged by the uproar. The, the, the tumultuous place where the church <laughs> feels, is a, it's a good, it's, that, it's growing pains yep. of recognizing we need to change. Um, we can't continue to live the way that we are because that's not the right way. The church is a community that, that needs to be vibrant. And right now it's, it's not. Yeah. Um, so I have hope for the future, but it is it, it makes it for a confusing place right now because there's no space exactly. to land yeah. for someone who, and, and for I think a lot of people, they then, because there's no place to land, they're like, well, I guess I'll just give this up mm-hmm. uh, because I can't find a space where any of this works. Um, but if you just hold on, I think there's more out there than, than any of us realize. Um, but we just need to start talking about it more so that people kind of, both people within the church who are holding on to the more uh, traditional way of doing church, traditional in terms of 20, 20th and 21st century American Christianity, um, who are holding on to what we were, uh, need to know that, that that's not how many Christians are. But also those people who don't have a place within the church right now need to hear that there are people like them, both within the church and outside of the church that are working to bring that community there. 
I love the studio audience applause. I was yeah, going to exactly. say, that was the first Tyler speech to come with a, <laughs> a round of applause at the end. So, so bringing it back to the, the world of Harry Potter and the work of J.K. Rowling, uh, to where does that intersect with faith in the church? And how does that inform your faith, or does it? I think Harry Potter was very important to me when I needed it to be important. Mm. And that had something to do with faith. Yeah. And like when I was less sure where I was yeah. with faith. Yeah. I think that's the answer. What was it when you were less sure with faith that got you to where you are? That may be too big for right now. I, no, because I was thinking about this recently because this is one of the things I've been thinking about because of the Enneagram, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, that one... I have always believed in like God and Jesus, but I didn't have like the conviction that I saw other people have around yeah. me. Yeah. And I didn't know where to get it from. Yeah. And Harry especially Potter, when it feels like that's that's the requirement. Right, absolutely. You need to have this level of 100%. conviction. And if you don't, then you don't believe. Yeah. yeah. Which is one of the worst lies that the, that the church has said. Yeah. Especially in Western Christianity. And Harry Potter was very important to me at a time when it, it wasn't like it was a substitute for that, but it was like, oh, so I can feel this enthusiastic yeah. about something. Yeah. And that's really important. It's not me. just that I'm dead. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I needed that, I think. That's, I, I didn't think about that, that it's, it's important to feel. Um, and it could be a passion even for One Direction. Yes. Or fanfic. Or, no, because I am very passionate about yeah. everything that I like in case yeah. that isn't obvious from my Twitter. <laughs> yeah, or your tattoos. <laughs> or my tattoos yeah. or like everything about me. Yeah. Um, I am very passionate about the things that I'm passionate about and Harry Potter was the first thing that I was passionate mm. about. So it's really special to me because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Had your passion waned for Harry Potter with the two movies? <laughs> I mean, it, it had waned before that um, when I like picked up other things that I cared about more instead. Um, like Doctor Who happened. Hey. Um, actually, like the last year. When that did I was, you jump in on Doctor Who? I was going to say the last year that I came to conference before my break was 2011, and the thing that made me start watching it actually was. Uh, do you remember Gabe Chen? Yeah, yeah. So Gabe Chen was really into Doctor Who at yes. the time, uh, and was this David Tennant this, era? Uh, at this still? time, it was Matt Smith was actually okay. Happening. Oh yeah, so yeah. Third new Doctor. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so he was like, "No, you really have to watch it. Like, do it, do it, do it." And so I went home from conference and I watched all of the Christopher Eccleston season nice. in one yeah, day, yeah. Um, which is like. Ten episodes. It's it's like, it's, a, it's a hefty day. But yeah, it's not. It's like a it's a yeah. British season. It's yeah. not an American yeah, yeah. season. Um, so it was manageable. Um, and it's a great season. It's. I, it's I'm so a big fan of Chris. So good. The Eccleston season because it's only one season gets short shrift. But it's, yeah, no, he was, it's, a, he was a really good doctor. He was great. He was a great reboot doctor. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so Doctor Who became like my all-consuming thing for a while, and yeah. that wiped Harry Potter out pretty nice, pretty uniformly. Are you still on? Doctor Who as much? No. Oh, I have not seen any of the Capaldi episodes. Like, I'm not far back. I've seen some. Yeah. It's fine. I've heard that, it's but I've heard once fine. you get in a couple episodes, then once you, you got to get the flavor of him. Uh, and I watched fine. the whole first Capaldi season. Oh, and it's not? And I, I had some objections to it. I've heard it gets better once um, Clara finally leaves. Okay. Because part of it was that Jenna Louise Coleman just stayed too long. Yeah. Yeah, and I, uh, again... This is turning having, into the theology yeah, of Doctor yeah, Who. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love Doctor Who. I watched Doctor Who when I was in elementary mm-hmm, school, mm-hmm. when I was on PBS, and I was very Tom Baker. I would uh, assume so, yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, because those were the most episodes that they showed, and they showed them out of order on yeah. PBS. So I got real into Monty Python and, and, and Doctor I'm Who. I'm shocked. Because of those two <laughs> things, yeah. But they were also, they were just ubiquitous on PBS. Yeah, and yeah. being a kind of 
uh, a nerdy kid back when that wasn't something to aspire to be. I, that's exactly why I'm not sure. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, and it was really Doctor Who and classical music and jazz that like <laughs> me and my other sixth grade friends really got yep. into in a way that there was no outlet for that otherwise. But yep. it was like, we could talk about this thing and people don't even know how to make fun of us for it because it's so <laughs> off the radar. Because it's so niche. Yeah. So, uh, and Tom Baker was the one who had the scarf. So if, if, yeah. if you know anything about Doctor Who, the scarf is associated with this. Window. I sure don't. Yeah. Uh, so I was super excited. Like I was one of the mm -hmm, few people, mm -hmm. and this is not a like, look at me, but it was really hard to be a Doctor Who fan. Yeah. And when, when Christopher Eccleston, who cares about any of this? Christopher Eccleston. <laughs> we were going to land this plane like we were, we were going <laughs> to yeah. we land it. Uh, I met Christopher Eccleston one time. That's oh. all I was saying. It was, it was super nice. The end. So um, what what is the passion that you have? What is the thing? It, Harry Potter hasn't completely gone away. Right. But what is the, the big passion that you have right now? What's the Harry Potter in your life right, right now? Right now? Yeah. I mean, they might be giants. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. That's my current thing. Yeah. Have you been, have you recognized enough now that the seasons kind of go through, uh, like, do you know that there will be an end to your hair, or there might be giant seasons? Yeah. Yeah. And that's not a threat. I'm fine with that. Nice. Because I still, I still like the things that I used to be obsessed with. Like Harry Potter, I yeah. still like it. Doctor Who, I still like it. Mostly Donna Noble, but like the rest is fine. So like, whenever I get over, they might be giants. Like, I'll still like them. What does it say about the seasons of life that, that those are the things that you most like do you think back on those seasons and identify with like oh that was my harry potter phase oh i absolutely do yeah yeah like, i i mean i categorize my life in like multiple different ways but like that's one of them yeah yeah is there anything fandom wise that you were way into that you're just done with now supernatural oh oh wow that's still going on isn't it it is oh that's and people sad. that love that love that yeah they boy they do also what? sherlock Sherlock, I didn't don't like anymore. You jumped at all. off the Sherlock. Train. I jumped off the Sherlock train when it was yeah. all done, or like no, like was it, it the abominable bride that got you? It was. Uh, I think it was yeah. actually. Yeah, it's such a like it's so cheeky, like that they're doing that. Like I I I missed. It. I haven't watched past that, and yeah. it wasn't. I wasn't off. It was just like I missed it, and like once I got that, I was like, mm. I think him coming back to life was so convoluted. Yeah. Like I, I'm glad they did it, but they did it in such a way that still didn't really make sense. Right. And it was, and like for every when they walked through his fake death, yeah, it's like there's so much chance that's involved in this. Yep. It's stupid. Yeah, yeah. But no, Supernatural was a big one that I was like, I'm done with it. Boy, there's a bunch of fanfic for Supernatural. I there bet. is. No oh kidding. my. Uh, that's another one where people were very into uh, making it queer when it is yeah. not queer. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. they're brothers, aren't they? Well, oh, well, there's that, yeah, yes. And that's then, the weirdest thing about um, the A lot of people also stuff. ship one of the brothers with the angel. I don't know as well. about that show. Yeah. What is out there that you still want to explore that you haven't yet? If you could write something now, what would you, where would you go that you're not currently invested in? So I love writing um, in any sense. I love writing academic papers. That's one of the reasons I went to grad school is because I actually love doing that. Yeah. I love like forming arguments. I'm really good at it. Um, not to brag, but like, <laughs> you I, should be. Yeah. I'm, I'm really good at it's it. It's part of the column. Um, I mean, but, but literally yeah. it's part of that, that yeah. triad it's, of, of circles. It's yeah. genuinely one of those things that yeah. like, I have always been aware that I can do it. And then I figured out like, oh wait, grad school is like the place that I should go if I can do that as yeah. well as I can. You are doing the right thing for that to be one of your passions. Exactly. And so there's nothing wrong with that being a passion as long as it's something that you're doing yeah. to help other people. Right. Yeah. Um, and so like with when it's non fandom stuff or even when it is fandom stuff sometimes, cause mm -hmm. that's part of what's going to be in my dissertation mm -hmm. probably is fandom stuff. Um, but like I sort through it by writing a paper about it mm -hmm. or writing a Twitter rant that I'm basically thinking of as a mini paper. Mm -hmm. yeah, right. um, 
where I still kind of structure it as yeah. though I'm writing like yeah. us an outline of a paper, but then it's just Twitter. Um, I love when people do that on Twitter, by the way. I do like, too. I appreciate your Twitter feed because it is it is well curated. Thank you. Rather than, I think that Twitter is a great medium for people who are intentional about it. Mm -hmm. And the threading of Twitter now allows for that. It's yeah. amazing. It's yeah. helpful. Yeah. yeah. And it's like very, sometimes that is how I sort through the things that I'm thinking about where yeah. I'm like, I'm frustrated about this and I don't know exactly why. Yeah. So like writing it out on Twitter, sometimes I write, do, write things and then I don't post them. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm just like, Which oh is cool. Incredibly, uh, and probably with fanfic too. Like yeah. You probably some of the fanfic is not for other people, even though you want other people to see this. Some of it is just, I needed to process that. Yeah. And now I have, and I could put it out, but I don't really have to. Yeah. Um, so for someone who doesn't write or read fanfic, well, I guess, I mean, like, what are some things that you get from that that maybe could apply to people who have never even who tried Who don't that? try yeah. writing. Yeah. Um, if someone, like, because a lot of people hear that, I love writing, especially academic papers, and they think, boy, that's not me. <laughs> Excuse me? And I think that, to me, the, one of the most exciting things about your talk last week, about just your your whole business, your whole deal. <laughs> My business. Your whole deal. Uh, <laughs> is, the brand. Is the, the, the invitation to view these texts that we have, mm -hmm. whether it's Harry Potter or One Direction, or Doctor Who, uh, whether it's TV or movies or, or things that are meant to be entertaining, that we can still view them as sacred texts yeah. that can tell us about who we are as human beings. Yeah. And that by writing it, that's a processing way. But also just by talking about, like the, the conversation that you have uh, at Wendy's mm -hmm. after you've seen Endgame is a sacred conversation. Yeah. Because it's talking about who we are as humans. And that, I mean, really, which is kind of the, the overall crux of this podcast is we're not trying to take trivial things and treat them serious. We're trying to, t we're taking serious things, yeah. which are the Marvel Cinematic Universe or Weezer, I guess, Weezer. Uh, <laughs> and treating them serious. Yeah, and yeah. treating them seriously. And it's not just for the sake of rhetoric. It's mm -hmm. for the sake of like, these are human things and we should process that. We should recognize that they have an impact on us right. that is deeper than just, I feel good and this is music I like yeah. to listen to. Well, that's... that's it can inform us as humans. I think to just put the button on that, I, and we talked a little bit about, I've been getting into the common English Bible. Mm -hmm. um, and Love it. They refer to Jesus as the human one. Yeah. But I think the more, so like there's there, there's a cheesy way to do this, like with Harry Potter or something like that, where you can say, oh, he died and then he came back to life. See, it's the Jesus story. Mm -hmm. I don't love that. Uh, what I do love is taking these things that are like so intrinsically human about us. Uh, these stories that grab us, the music that holds us, the fan fiction we write, all this stuff that is so naturally human. If Jesus is the human one, right. the more we dive into that stuff, the closer we're going to get to Jesus. And that's not this, that's not like the Jesus juke of like, oh, Harry Potter's really a Christian book. No, but it, the more you expand on that humanness, the more close you can draw to Christ himself. I also, following up on the writing thing more, I only pray through journaling. I'm like a huge yeah. advocate of prayer journals yeah. because it makes me say things that I don't think I say if I just like pray in my Are head. journals exclude, like nobody sees that. Nobody sees yeah. that, no. And do you ever read back through? Oh, all the time. Oh, my. Nice. All the time. Nice. Yeah. Um, like, but I very intentionally do not structure those because I'm like, no, I'm just going to let God like send me in the direction that I need to think about. Yeah. And it makes me, even if it's something that I like have kind of thought through, it very often makes me think more through something yeah. than I would have if I hadn't written it down. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So like writing does not have to be structured paper writing. It can just be free flow. Free flow, and I think that that's very productive. And too. there's something spiritual in that. There it's yeah, it's amazing. It's a spiritual it's discipline. 
It's even great. fanfic. Even, yeah. Is a spiritual discipline. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> All right, Twitter question. Yeah, I, I think kind of going along the what do you, how do you process things? And if it's through writing, what do you write? Because I, I, even in the end of that, I was thinking about songwriting and how mm-hmm. freeing that can be. Um, even when you have writer's block for like six months. Um, so like, man, write songs about... Uh, well, apparently I need to start writing songs about the Whomping Willow. Yeah. There's, there's money there. Yeah. Write a yeah. song about Chocolate Toothpaste. I don't know if there's money there. Yeah. Uh, there's audience. Yeah, Chocolate Toothpaste. <laughs> so what, uh, to Twitter, what do you write um, and how do you process what you've written? Uh, is it free flow? Is it structured? Uh, and how do you encounter, not, I don't want to say how do you encounter Jesus with that, but how do you encounter spirituality and being human in the stuff that you write? Because uh, we've touched really on everything, right? School papers, fanfic, songwriting, all of it. Um, what creative processes do you run through? Share those with us at Rough the Pastor or Roughing the Pastor on Instagram if yeah. you are, because they are more forgiving with their usernames. We said our email account at one point and then I never checked it. So I don't no, know I don't. Either. If you've don't emailed it, stuff yeah. to us, yeah. Oops, sorry, we sorry. forgot that we had it. We yeah. used it to activate our we podcast. <laughs> that was it. We should look into that. Uh, and and I, I mean, I don't want to continue to do my thing where I rephrase what you just said, but the. Uh, no, go ahead. I think it, uh, uh, maybe this isn't even not a question, but just to permission if even more than just writing like recognizing that how you process media can be a spiritual act oh yeah that totally invite um like the things that you love to to consume the media that you love to the music the tv the movies the books whatever culture that that makes you excited uh you don't need me to give you permission but i'm going to give you permission allow that like god is in that process and that 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 passion that you have for Doctor Who, One Direction, Harry Potter, uh, whatever it is, Dave Matthews Band. Uh, yeah, I'll bring it around to you. Uh, <laughs> that's all like, I listen to yeah. on the way up to, <laughs> to get ready. That, that's that, like we don't need to separate that thing from spirituality. That that can be part. That God is in that process. Yeah. If, if God really is who we claim God to be, the, kind of the 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 progenitor of all creation, and and that God's fingerprints are in all creation. That God is present in all this stuff. And that that's a larger thesis statement to everything we're trying to do with this podcast. But it's, a, it's worth reminding that, that when you have passion, God is there. Yeah. Whether it's, pa- and it doesn't have to be passion in the midst of a worship service, because for many of us, that's not there. Mm-hmm. And we try to go through the motions to replicate that. Um, and, and gosh, fake passion is the oh, worst. it's the worst. Mm-hmm. And, and we, there's been genuine passion and fake passion on display. And both of those things, some of the genuine passion is inaccessible to other people. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it's, that it's inauthentic for that person. Right. But you shouldn't try to feel like, oh, I need to act that way. And some of the fake passion is so toxic because it demonstrates uh, a, a falseness to this. It, and, and in the same way that, again, if you're a deep fan of something and someone tries to come in and really uh, talk about it, like this is one of the youth pastor syndromes of like when youth pastors come is like, hey guys, I like One Direction, and then they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Uh, or they, I immediately distrust that yeah, person. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, you, right. can, you can see, and Harry Potter is a good example too, like someone who's only seen the movies. Yeah. Like you can get real snooty about it real quick, but it's also, it's a fake, like I'm going to try to tap into your passion to hook you into something else. Like, yeah. no, just, it, it's okay it's, to admit. It's abuse of passion. Exactly. Yeah. And we don't have to do that. We can be passionate about our own things and re- recognize that my passion for uh, this thing may mirror your passion for this other thing mm-hmm. and we can where we are where we inter, intersect is we are passionate about things and we don't have to be passionate about the same things you can you can love uh, a thing that i don't love and that's okay and it, it's not that you're wrong and i'm right or vice versa yeah that we can recognize that god is in both of those things 
and that's that's a good thing for us to hold. And that's where the intersection of the community comes to. Yeah. Well, I've been Jay. And I've been Tyler. I've been Rachel. And this has been Roughing the, the Pastor. pastor.